Welcome to Paddling Adventures Radio. I'm Sean Rowley, and with me is Derek Specht. Yeah, hello. What's happening, Derek? Mm, not much. Same old, same old. Same crap, different day. <laughs> <laughs> I did just get back. I did a little bit of camping, and uh, I, you might have seen it, but I... Uh, so at Christmas, I got a, uh, a sourdough starter. Mm-hmm. Now, I did call it Kevin. She called it... My niece called it something else because it's a starter and the name is the name of a starter of a football player or something. And it's like, oh, yeah, whatever. She's in football. Anyway, so I, I'm calling it Kevin. But then I started talking to people about it and, and you know, made Kevin's baby. And I'm eating Kevin's baby. I'm thinking, I should have gone with a girl's name. <laughs> I should have called my sourdough starter a girl's name. I would have called it like maybe after a food or something. If you're well, eating it. Now we're thinking Harriet, you know, Harriet, oh, sweet Harriet, you know, <laughs> I married a <an> axe murderer. <laughs> anyway, so uh, so I, I did up a sourdough starter, did up some sourdough, let it proof, and, uh, and cooked it over uh, fire uh, camping on the weekend. That was pretty cool. What kind of fire? Uh, wood fire. In what? Uh, in a KIHD stove. Ah, over, the good old kid stove, yes. twig stove. Yes, a twig stove. But no, no, it's a it was a fire pit. But the KHD stove is just a box of backcountry. Yeah, oven. but did yeah. you not? It's a twig stove. I didn't have a twig stove. No. Well, I no. thought that you should put your your. Did you not cook over the kid stove? No, no. This is a kid oven. This is where the oh, it's the one you gave me. It's a stove. No, it's not a stove. It's an oven. Oh yes, you gave me a stove too. That's too small to cook in front of. That's why I was wondering. I thought you. I thought you cooked over that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's. Uh, oh yeah, you gave me the. You gave me a stove, didn't you? It was the oven I bought myself. Yeah, I have no clue yeah, there what you go. you're talking. Yeah, 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 yeah. About. You gave me a stove by kid. Yeah. Anyway, it turned just, out really well. I just saw that you K I H D. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's. it's I'm looking. It's, it is. Yeah, it's a backcountry oven. Yeah, yeah. Or the uh, reflector oven, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. No, that wasn't from me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you got that yourself. That's why I told my wife. It was. She said, Did you buy that? Said, Sean bought it for me. So I maybe. I mean, I, yes. Maybe yes, I started yes, believing. I bought. It <laughs> maybe I started <laughs> believing that <laughs> if you're gonna blame me for something, make sure I know. <laughs> Why'd you buy that? I didn't buy it. Sean gave it to me. Just like that canoe you bought me. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't buy. I didn't spend any money. <laughs> Ooh, boy, now, oh, boy, oh, boy. Now I hope she doesn't listen to this episode. Note. Should we start this over? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Siobhan, do not listen to this episode. Yes. <laughs> but they wouldn't start it over, and she did listen. <laughs> <laughs> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Eric's in trouble. Narrator and once again, in. we'll be calling for, na- <laughs> for resumes, because I'm going to need a new co-host. <laughs> Yeah, for some reason, I guess I told her so many times that you bought it that uh, you believe it. I believed it. Well, I got you the the other one. Yeah, the stove. Yeah, yeah. 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 And I didn't realize you had the reflector oven. Hmm. Yeah. Because yeah. we we both have the same reflector oven, the one that folds open. Well, no, I've got uh, one of the um, Swedish version ones from Canadian Outdoor. Yeah, I have the same one. Yeah. It folds open. Oh, that's not that's not kid. No, 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 no. Okay, so. You correct. have the same style. I have the same one as you, plus I have the kid one. Oh. Yeah. Okay, now we're all just thoroughly confused. Yes, I know. So you the, have too much yeah. crap. I know. But the, <laughs> the one that 
we both have the same one of. Yeah. It's uh, it's a bit smaller. The KAHD one is huge. Like a like a full inch mm-hmm. uh, uh, pie tray fits in there. Really? Yeah, we cooked lunch the next day, like sausages and stuff. We baked our sausages and yeah. So but it's it's bigger, but it's it's a little bit complicated putting together. <laughs> like it took two of us. It's like, okay, you hold this panel because they all fold and clip in together. Right. Whereas the one that the same one that we both have, it just pops, pops open, open and, and the door in the back shuts and, and there's a little clip that holds yeah, it all together. Exactly. So the KHD is a bit more, it's a bit more, uh, uh, it's like putting a puzzle together. Oh, you got to use the smarticle particles. Yes. Yeah, yeah I know. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I just want to eat. I don't want to yeah. build me something. <laughs> so I was flipping the pieces together. I was getting her to hold a panel, hold this panel like this and hold that one like that. And she goes, this is wrong. This is wrong. I said, no, it's not wrong. She goes, it's supposed to be like this. I said, like this. And I just flipped. It was upside down. So I flipped it upright. Oh. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> it was wrong, but it was the right wrong. <laughs> yes. So, but yeah, and so you pull one piece out, the back flap that slides in place. When you pull that out, the whole thing just bruh, comes apart. Really? So, so you're picking up pieces. It's everywhere. got little tiny tabs that I'm going to bend. <laughs> so, you than me. But, but it's nice because it's a big oven. It yeah. cooks a lot. And who... I wish I could remember off the top of my head because it thought just occurred to me. But somebody said that they cooked an entire roast in one of these backcountry ovens. And I'm thinking, that's actually... Because there's a lot of heat. You can get a lot of heat. Get the fire stoked and stuff. You can, like, cook a roast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm going to be in the backcountry. I'm going to cook a roast. I'm going to... <laughs> I'm going to hunk a chunk of meat off that dead moose in the river and I'm going <laughs> to mm. <laughs> bake it. <laughs> Nothing says goodness. <laughs> But yeah, so uh, it's it's nice to have such a, a large backcountry oven. Yeah, now uh, you know what I take the small pie plate with me and some um, yep some yeah. parchment paper, mm-hmm. and then I just throw that right in there. Yep, and it cooks everything. Yeah, the inside parchment paper is a must. Yeah, that uh, would have been a mess for the trays if I make the sourdough bread and right in the tray. You know what? And that's why I started bringing the the parchment paper mm-hmm. because you line whatever you're cooking in with that yeah. with a little piece of that and it comes out easier and it's because there's the no cleanup you, you just yeah. burn the parchment paper in the fire yeah. and you're done yeah and yeah. and you're you got a wipe out instead of a scrape out exactly yeah right so cool mm-hmm. cool it worked out really well it's a, yeah it was it was uh for I I've baked bannock bread in in an outback oven before and I've uh, done cookies and and whatnot but cinnamon I've, buns I've, I've never done a larger loaf of uh, sourdough bread. So yeah, we've done cool. cookies, brownies, mm-hmm. uh, muffins, um, cinnamon buns, pizzas. Yeah, yeah it's uh, oh, and this the the kids uh, oven. Mm-hmm. It uh, you could do a full twelve inch pizza in that thing. Like really? it's pretty big. Wow, I yeah. mean, is it heavy? No, no. It's actually I think it might be a little bit lighter than the one that folds into into folds open. Hmm. It's just it, it's more square. It's like. It's got to be... Uh, yeah, because our tapers. <clears throat> yeah, it tapers, yeah. So, But the the kid one is uh, set like 13 by 13 or 14 by 14, or it's pretty big. Wow. Yeah. It does taper down to the back, but it doesn't... It doesn't it's the, the other one that you so have... So you can bake a fish in that. You could. Like a good-sized fish. Yes. So I used a uh, an old tinfoil tray from like a lasagna, and it was like... Like six by twelve tray, right? And filled it with sausages and baked sausages for lunch. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Worked really well. 
Hmm. It's pretty big. Yeah. I think I'll have to talk to Ingo and Keith and the boys. And <laughs> there you go. Say, hey, fellas. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it is complicated to put together. After but, uh, the first few times, I'm sure after, you'll figure yeah, it out. Yeah, and you have to be gentle with it <laughs> because you can you can probably easily tear one of those tabs off. <laughs> then just don't. Yes, yes. Be awesome. gentle. Be gentle. And you had a good uh, camping weekend? It was good. That? It was good. It was nice to see snow on the ground. Mm-hmm. Right? So we, we get we got it for a few hikes and stuff. And it was, it's, uh, we're not exactly backcountry or anything, but it's, uh, it's uh, the next best thing. It's not in the city. It's not in the city. There you go. Yeah. Um, I learned something. Uh-oh. Don't you technically learn something every day? Some days I just shut my brain off. I don't retain it. <laughs> I'm not learning. I'm not learning today. anything and you can't make me. I refuse. <laughs> so, you know when you go out in the woods and you go, oh, look, that's bear scat. Oh, okay. that's deer scat. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's moose. That's wolf. Yeah. Well, that's from a, a muskrat or that's a beaver. You can tell by the poop. Mm-hmm. When you go to Australia. Uh-oh. <laughs> okay. Do you know how to tell there's been wombats around? I don't even know what a wombat is. It's like a like a rat like creature, isn't it? It's a, it's a small mammal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Square. They poop cubes. Really? I learned that. Okay. that if I didn't learn anything this <laughs> week, I learned that wombats poop cubes, and they stack them to mark their territory. Are you? And really? do you know why they're square? Is this going to so be a joke? So they don't roll up. No, it's not a Google it. Google it right now. And all you listeners who are on your phones and <laughs> in front of your computers, Google it. I am not lying. Wombat poop is cubes. Tell me I'm wrong. Tell me I'm wrong. You cannot tell me I'm wrong because I am right. If I've learned nothing this week, do you know how to spell wombat, Derek? The, well, the keyboard is Bluetooth, so it takes you punch the keyboard three different times, and then you get half the word because the first three keystrokes are ignored. He typed Roomba. <laughs> it came out as bat poop. Uh, yeah, that's weird. Look at that. Right? They look like fudge brownies. Yeah, but don't taste one. <laughs> according to scientists, they're not. <laughs> they're like little tiny, yeah. itsy bitsy bears. Yeah, and they pile them. The higher, the better. And they poop a hundred times a night. They are square. Yeah. Why? Why has are they to, square? It has to do with their intestines and how the intestines are elastic in some parts and how the muscles are. And <laughs> Space Truckers? There was a movie years ago. I think it was like Space Truckers or well, something. That sounds like a B-movie. And <laughs> do you know how the Japanese, they grow their watermelons in, oh. in boxes that make yeah. square watermelons? Yeah. Easier to ship, store. Yeah. Anyways, in Space Truckers, they grew square pigs. And it was a... <laughs> the pigs were grown in boxes. And they were square pigs. It's easier to ship. And <laughs> this is going way off topic now. <laughs> no, it's awesome. We're talking about squares. We're talking about square things. Well, when they used to log in Algonquin Park, they used to cut the trees down to squares to fit better in the ships. What a waste of wood. Right? Well, they'd use it for... Um, burning and stuff like that, right? Yeah, Eating but the, they also end up making mass, so they had to re-round them again afterwards. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> but yeah. yeah, you can't have you yeah. make it, use up all the mushrooms you can. Yeah, square anyway, box. Square poop. Isn't that something? I learned something this week. There's a there's a nice diagram of the uh, wombat's intestinal system. Huge. It goes right from their face all the way back. Yeah, like and now, like everybody and does. Now <laughs> you know what a wombat looks like. Yes, it looks like a little tiny bear cub, a pig face with a bear body, and they have a disease going through. They've been having this go through for a number of years now. Wombats. Yeah, and it's killing off the population. Oh, really? Yeah, they're trying to figure out what uh, what uh, they can do to cure it, but they haven't been able to do that. Figure it huh. out. So anyway. On to other things. I just thought I'd uh, throw that little tidbit of square information Australian at you. Australian animals are just weird from the get-go. Right? If they're not trying to kill you, they're trying to baffle you. Yeah. I mean, yeah. look at the platypus for crying out platypus, loud. Platypus, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. Lays eggs, got a bill, swims, <laughs> got fur. It's got a claw that, that'll hold venom. What's the cute little animals that uh, eat eucalyptus trees? Koala bears. Koala bears. So like 80, 90% of them all have chlamydia. Yeah? Yeah. And they're bears, so they yeah. will attack you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Stay away from Australia. Yep. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> <laughs> Any Australians listening, no disrespect, but yeah. we're not coming. <laughs> Too many things to kill you or baffle you. Uh, I'm, ser- I'm searching poop on the internet. Now you're searching poop. <laughs> So what you guys talk about this week? Poop. Poop. I'm just going to put that on. This week we talk poop. A whole hour and 20 minutes. <laughs> There's a little story here about how and why they poop square poop. Yeah, I know. It's, it's educational. It's so they won't ride, roll off high perches? What good is that? Because they mark their territory with it. They make big piles of their poop. And because it's square, it doesn't roll away. A wombat strategy could help engineers design better ways to shape valuable and or sensitive materials. <laughs> Pilot like a wombat, boys. <laughs> yeah, they do use the technical term of feces. Yeah, poop, whatever. <laughs> We're eight. Uh, boundary waters. Oh, yes. I heard about this. This is, yeah. There's a segue for you. Wombat poop to boundary waters. Speaking of square poop. (laughs) Speaking of poop. Boundary waters. 20-year mining ban. Yes. Ban. Interior Secretary Deb Holland signed a public land order protecting the Boundary Waters Canoe Area Wilderness, uh, Voyagers National Park, and 1854 Treaty Area from Sulfide Ore copper uh, mining sulfide ore as in not or but ore yeah ore uh, the plo called a mineral withdrawal bans toxic mining on 225,504 acres of superior national forest land in the watershed of the boundary waters and upstream of the wilderness it comes after the forest services published a comprehensive scientific review finding that sulfide ore copper mining would pollute the boundary waters in ways that could not be fixed or mitigated. We must have reported on this, these oh. changing issues like a dozen times I think over we've been talking about this since we started <clears throat> almost, seven, <clears throat> almost, almost seven years ago, in two weeks. And we won't have to talk about it again for 20 years. In 20, well, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll be talking about this again, I can guarantee you. <laughs> yes. Uh, the science-based 
decision is a massive win for Boundary Waters protections, said Becky Rom, national chair of the Campaign to Save Boundary Waters. You don't allow America's most toxic industry next to America's most popular wilderness. The Boundary Waters is a paradise of woods and water. It is an ecological marvel, a world-class outdoor destination, and an economic engine for hundreds of businesses and many thousands of people. This decision moves America even closer to permanently protecting this beloved wilderness. And yeah, I mean, we've talked about this many times because it's been going back and forth, back and forth. Obama was putting in these things and then Trump took them out and told, you know, told him, oh, you can, you can, you can mine, you're good. And Mm -hmm. then Biden came in and they're like, whoa, 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 let's just put a little bit of a stop on this here. Um. This uh, draft uh, explains that the purpose of the proposed 20-year mining ban is to protect and preserve the natural and cultural resources in the watershed, including the boundary waters, the adjoining mining protection area, and the 1854 ceded territory from the known and potentially adverse environmental impacts arising from the exploration and development of federally owned minerals. Wow. Wow. It's a lot of, <laughs> so, yeah. I love, these press, I love these press releases yes, they yes. send. They just roll off the tongue. Don't they? Um, yeah, you know what? Like, Boundary Waters is a complex and interconnected ecosystem, offers recreational opportunities and other uses, which make it an irreplaceable national treasure that would be at severe risk from sulfide or copper mining without the mineral withdrawal. In January 2022, the federal mineral leases for Chilean mining giant Antofagasta's Twin Metals Project were revoked by the Department of Interior, which concluded that the leases had been unlawfully renewed by the Trump administration. There are currently no active mineral leases on federal land in the withdrawal area. Under the PLO announced, uh, none can be issued for 20 years. So this doesn't mean that in 20 years... Whoever's in power, yeah. they can just say, okay, 20 years <clears throat> is done. Send us your little applications and we'll approve them. Sort of thing, right? This is only for 20 years. Yeah. So the state of Minnesota is currently conducting its own review of whether sulfide or copper mining should be allowed in the rainy river headwaters. So, yeah, this is going all over the places, you know, more and more people. And I think what it's going to take is one major thing like this to be stopped. And then a lot of others will go, well, precedence. Yeah, yeah. Right? Precedence is set. You hope. Mm -hmm. Well, because that that was also precedent setting when previous administration started, like, opening up. uh, So the uh, beaver herd of caribou up in Alaska and mining and stuff there, and then the boundary waters, and and they started cut back Bears Ears uh, National Park. And mm-hmm. so there's a lot of, it's, it's just, oh, and there, there was that whole protected area out off in the Atlantic that they cut back by like 80% or something. So it was that, that they were trying to set precedence there just to, hey, business as usual, let's go mine shit. Mm-hmm. Oops. Ooh, dude. <laughs> I think it's the first time I swore on this podcast. Wow. Wow, you're going to be fired we'll now. We'll have to bleep that. We're going to bleep it. <laughs> no, we're not bleeping it. Uh, yeah, yeah, you know, like there's all these things that were, 
shouldn't be allowed, but they yeah. can allow. So right? there's times and places for everything. Like I'm not anti-industry or anti, you know, you know, people need jobs. There's need, we need metals, we need ores, but there should be responsible ways to do it. And until we can find a clean way to, to pull ores out of the ground, there should be reserve for areas that are, that are not as easily damaged by the mining industry or, or whatever. So it's just, you need to be careful how you do it. There's every year or every two years you hear something about some head, some, uh, uh, retaining pond at some mine has let go and, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, there's all kinds of poisons and toxins that have run down this river and killed every fish all the way from wherever to the ocean. And it's like, oh, it was an oopsie. It's like, yeah, but you guys have oopsies every two years. Yeah. You can't have oopsies like yeah. this. There is a thing they're talking, they want to put in is a, I can't remember what they call it. Something about a show us. Um, basically, they're saying take a, a mine mm-hmm. that has been used for many years yep. and shut down and is not leaking or yeah, exactly. anything like that. It's not uh, a hazard. Yeah. So show, <clears throat> show us first that you have been able to do yes. this before we even consider yep. Prove to you us you have right? the technology, yeah. the capability, and the and the will to go forward and and not pollute your environment around you. Mm-hmm. Um, Northeastern Minnesotans for Wilderness sued the Minnesota Department of Natural Resources, alleged the state's current rules were inadequate to protect the boundary waters as is legally required. The DNR is currently evaluating these rules and a decision is expected before May 31st, 2023. If the DNR finds the rules to be inadequate, then an administrative, administrative, I've been having problems speaking all day, (laughs) then an administrative process will be conducted to amend the rules so that they adequately protect the boundary waters. There is also pending legislation to permanently protect boundary waters at a state level. Now, nearly 70% of Minnesota support permanent protection for this priceless wilderness area, and a vast collection of peer-reviewed science shows that if Twin Metals Mine was built along the rivers and streams flowing into the wilderness, pollution and environmental degradation would be certain. A peer-reviewed independent study from Harvard University shows that protecting the boundary waters from proposed sulfide ore mining would result in dramatically more jobs and more income over a 20-year period. And that's the big thing is there. there's one Republican, I think he's a Republican uh, um, guy that's saying, you know, you're, you're taking away. You're taking food off of people's all, plates. All, all my constituents' mm-hmm. livelihoods and, yeah. and all that sort of stuff. He's, he's huge and he's against this big time, yeah. you know. But if they can show that, you know what, like, yeah, there's going to be, jobs coming in and all that to help protect jobs it. will show up yeah. eventually there's always something coming it's just like and when it comes to mining it's there's not a lot of jobs there's a, a few key jobs and but it's like you're not talking hundreds of thousands of people getting jobs you're talking a few hundred mm-hmm. right it's like a mine does not employ a lot of people not these days. No, no. It's all robotic uh, mining, and you get have big you have one big machine that does most of the work, yeah. and one yeah, gone operator. Are the days where everybody's got a pickaxe and a hammer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 2017 report by the Minnesota Pollution Control Agency describes the waters within the mineral withdrawal area as immaculate. 
The report concludes that the majority of the water bodies within the watershed had exceptional biological, chemical, and physical characteristics that are worthy of additional protection. Now, when it comes to the 20-year ban, like you say, it's just a 20-year ban. Mm -hmm. Only Congress can legislate a permanent withdrawal. Yeah. So, and with... Is it the Republicans that are in? They're currently they're currently in control mm-hmm. of it. They're saying a permanent withdrawal won't happen right now. Yeah, they they expect it not to to happen. So, so that's why I say I, I bet you we'll talk about this again in twenty years. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but or, I, I, or I, sooner. I, I assume the podcast won't be around for twenty years. How do you know? Are you quitting? <laughs> I'm going to be dead in twenty years. <laughs> How are you going to be dead in twenty years? I'll be in my mid seventies. You're only going to live to your mid-70s? I can't see myself living much longer than that. Why? Genetics. Bah! You know, my buddy Kevin, the majority yeah. of the men in his family are all dead before 50. Guess how old Kevin is. He's over 50. Here's here's to Kevin. <laughs> Cheers, buddy. He's beat the record. <laughs> Oldest living guy ever in your in your family. <laughs> ah, you'll be long, long, long after 70. Well, I might be along, I might be here after seventy, but uh, most of the people in my family end up with Alzheimer's. So, uh, so you won't remember what we talked. Remember <laughs> what we talked about last week? Nope. No. <laughs> Do you remember what we're talking about this week? Nope. <laughs> I gotta pee. <laughs> Somebody pooped in my pants. <laughs> was that me? <laughs> it was. It was a wombat. Uh, took my dog out. Out. Yeah, back on the trails. Oh yeah, we're yeah we're doing the trails every weekend, and uh, the the listing skills are about mm, <laughs> I'd like to say ninety percent. <laughs> there are like there's there she'll go ahead of us ahead of me a ways. Mm-hmm. She loves the snow, yeah, um, and she loves the bush, just yeah. bopping around, and um, she'll go ahead of me, and then I, I you know close close, and then she she stops and she'll come back a bit or you know I can't see you hmm. and she'll stop and come back and that's good and if she's not listening I do the <laughs> and then oh yeah because you yeah. know she's in trouble yeah so she comes back so 90% I'd say her recall right now which is which is pretty good and then you know most of the time oh there's a dog up there and she she'll stick close sort of thing and then she won't. <laughs> <laughs> she loses her mind. You know, there, yeah, there, there's definitely times where she just, you know, just her ears just close. Mm-hmm. And she's not paying attention because something's – and that's the thing that I've got – got to get her past that point where even if there isn't a, tr- a, a, a distraction, yeah. you've got to be – you know, when I call you back, you got to come back. So, you know, like I say, when she's boogieing away and – there's a couple times where we're down in in the bowl, as they call it, and all the dogs are okay, there must yeah, have been like yeah. fifteen dogs running around having a blast, and and what that means is I get to stand there and not have to exercise. <laughs> so <laughs> other people's dogs exercise yeah. other people's dogs, yeah, yeah. you know. Um, and then you know people are going, oh, we we got to go now, and so they'll leave, and then you know Athena will go to follow the other dog with a couple other dogs, and you're like, Athena, come close. And eight times out of ten, <laughs> she will. which would be like four times out of five, yeah. she does come back. Yeah. But then there's that one time where she's just like, yeah, up your nose with rubber hose. <laughs> I'm following that dog. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
Uh, yeah, you know what? It, it's it's working out. She's having a blast. But but there was this article uh, outside online magazine from October 2018. Yes. Yeah. Now, I like this one because it was a, a bit humorous. There you are enjoying your favorite single track at your local nature preserve. The air is crisp, the skies are clear, and you're picking your way around the trail's rocks and roots like the nimble mountain goat you are. <laughs> they know me so well. <laughs> Life is good. Then all of a sudden, dog. Yeah. The creature, unbound and apparently alone, has careened around the bend and is barreling toward you, eyes wide and tongue out. In a flash, it's darting around your feet, and you're performing a little jig to keep from stumbling. The dance of the unleashed dog. As you mince and prance, you try to process what's happening. First, you're stunned. Scientists call this the WTF stage. <laughs> what the? F <laughs> then you're annoyed, and then you think to yourself, hold up. Didn't I see a sign at the trailhead saying dogs should be on leashes? You probably did. Such signs are common. So are dog owners who ignore them. Yep. Now, I've been taking our dog, I've been taking Athena to leash-free uh, trails. Yeah. So you're allowed to have your dogs. But there's other trails nearby. You've got to have your dog on a leash. Mm -hmm. And if, if I'm trying to work on recall, you know, her on a five-foot leash. <laughs> Come back. Oh, good dog. <laughs> yeah, she stayed within five feet of me the entire time. It was great. Yeah. She's, she's doing so well, 100%. For the record, let me stress that I'm a dog person. We have a 10-year-old shepherd mix, a sweet but not so bright boy named Cooper, who we raised from a puppy. I delight in meeting new dogs and, with their owner's permission, rubbing their ears. The dog's ears, not the owner's. <laughs> <laughs> Back when I had a car, it had just one bumper sticker, a white oval with the word woof. In short, I'm pro-dog, yes, all the way. However, like you, I'm also a trailer user, and like you, I'm continually vexed by the presence of off-leash dogs. Letting your pooch race up and down and across shared trails, unfettered and unpredictable, isn't just rude, it's dangerous. Dog owners, please cut this out. Everyone else, the next time you're in situation, I encourage you to speak up. But what do you say? And just important, how do you say it? And this is why I like this article, because when you're thinking portages. Yes. Right? Yeah. Um, and, and things like that. And this, this is the same, you could do the same sort of thing. How do you, people with bad portage etiquette, what do you say? Or do you just ignore it and go mumbling off? Yeah, I know because you don't want to cause a confrontation. Yeah, you don't want it because the uh, I don't, the few times that I have said something and the the person gets very defensive and it's like, dude, it's supposed to be on a leash. Mm -hmm. I'm not here to argue with you, but your dog is running around my ankles and you know jumping up and whatever. I've got a canoe. I've got yeah. packs. Yeah, my wife's behind me and she yeah. can barely stand with her pack on. Mm -hmm. That dog hits her. She's turtling. She's down. Yeah. Yeah. Before we go there, let's try to understand some dog owners flout these rules or why they, they flout them in the first place. I have two theories on this. One is that people feel it's okay to let their dogs loose in the woods because, well, it's the woods. No cars, few people, all nature. It's the last place their dog can really run free. And besides, they're quick to say their dogs are fine and would never hurt anybody. Yeah. The other theory is they're just assholes. 
Realistically, you'll encounter both types of dog owners in the wild. The problem is that you can't tell by looking which type is which. <laughs> just so you, just as you can't tell by looking which dogs are fine yes. and which might dive bomb your front wheel or sink its teeth into your calf. Mm-hmm. Caution and tact then are the order of the day. Say something absolutely, but be smart about it. First, keep your distance from the dog's human. You don't want them or your dog to feel you're a threat. Second, stay cool. A loud, hostile, or snarky tone will only make the owner defensive and unreceptive. So wait a beat before you say anything. Take a breath. Try to preface your remarks with something positive like, that's a beautiful dog. (laughs) In my experience, they usually are. Third, try to focus not on the dog's owner or even on yourself, but on others. For instance, instead of blurting out, put your dog on a leash, try, it would be really would be safer for everyone, including your dog, if he were on a leash. If the animal in question causes an accident or near miss, mention this again, or mention this as well, again, in a matter of fact way. My buddies and I ran around the corner there and almost fell over your dog. Fourth and finally, thank the dog owner for listening and tell them to have a good day, like you mean it. <laughs> yeah, not sarcastic. Before moving on yourself. Yeah. Will this actually change anyone's behavior? Maybe, maybe not. But it almost certainly won't make things worse, and you'll have tried your best. Sometimes that's the best we can hope for. Yeah. Which is, yeah, you know what? Like, And I've said things to people on Portage. Just, <clears> hey, <throat> you know, you, you got to do this, you got to do that. It's just proper etiquette, you know. And that, that's the way I, I phrase it too. I said, you know, it's just proper portage etiquette. Yeah. This is, you know, you move out of the way or you get your stuff out. And and it's usually the younger people that I have to say it to because they'll just keep all their stuff and they'll go to take one load up the portage, leaving all their canoes blocking the portage. Mm-hmm. And I'll go, okay, no, for portage etiquette, yeah, put everything to the side and then do your trip because that way other people can come in. Yeah. Because right now everybody's <laughs> got to wait in the water until yeah. you trip a portage. Like, uh, there's no way to get ashore and there's nobody buy this gear. Yeah. 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 And and so back to the dog thing, I don't know how many times. I remember one time, I, I think it was Rain Lake in Algonquin Park. We, we pulled up, went to put the canoes in and uh, there was like a couple loads of dog poop there in the grass oh, on the edge. It's yes. like... It's like you're walking along and you're you're you have a pack on one shoulder, you're dragging some paddles, and it's like whoa, you're dancing around a landmine, and it's like mm-hmm. why? Yeah, yeah, that's that's another pick up after your dog, keep your dog on a leash. Uh, you know, it's 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 there's so many. You're protecting your dog by keeping them leashed on the portages because the last thing you need is somebody tripping and falling onto your dog or a random moose gets protective and mm-hmm. starts hoofing the dog, right? Or so, somebody that doesn't like dogs and doesn't care yep. gets mad and yeah. kicks your dog. Exactly. Right? And yeah. that's a whole, somebody kicks my dog. <laughs> <laughs> Things are, are escalating quickly. Yeah. Uh, funny story though about the poop. Okay. Our last dog, Hunter, mm-hmm. would squat in the water. Poop in and the poop water? Would poop underwater. That's weird. Right? How do you pick that up? It's How like do you a, find it? It's like a bidet. What's the dog doing out there? She's squatting. <laughs> How do I go out, you know, <laughs> 20 feet? Why is the dog doing that? Yeah. 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 So, so yeah. Uh, if, you, if you do see somebody with a dog off leash... 
say something, say say it nice way. Just yeah. say, hey, you know, like, you know, don't want something to happen. And uh, hopefully maybe clicks into people that, oh, yeah, not everybody likes dogs. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Parks Canada. Ah, yes. They're making upgrades to the Trent Severn Waterway. Dams, valves, tunnels, and walls are part of a $1 billion. That's incredible $1 number. $1 billion upgrade to the Trent Severn Waterway system. I really hope that in- includes takeouts for canoes and kayaks and stuff oh, yeah, yeah, at, yeah. at each lock. Well, I imagine mostly it's repair of facilities, keeping them upgraded, keeping them up to date. Oh, yeah, that so, is. And but, so on, right? But, yes, it would be nice if they actually took into consideration the current uses. Because I think there's I, – I, from what I've seen when I pass by the Trent Severn and what I've experienced when I paddled the Trent Severn is I think canoe and kayak traffic is increasing. It is, and they've tried to make it more – um, personal watercraft friendly, mm-hmm. but I would hate to be in a kayak trying to get out at some of these locks. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. like there's yeah. no way I wouldn't be swimming. I'm gonna have to do a wet exit so I can get out here. I'd have to do wet exit, <laughs> wet entrance, <laughs> wet. Just I might as well swim at this point, right? Uh, and op- there's an open house presentation February 9th. Parks Canada staff will answer questions about the upcoming projects, including the rehabilitation of the walls, tunnels, and valves at Lock 42 Kuchicheng, the replacement of the White Portage da- White's Portage Dam on Six Mile Lake, the rehabilitation of the Little Chute Dam G near Port Severn, creation of an access road from White Falls Road to the Pretty Channel Dam, these products are part of more than a billion dollar investment in Parks Canada assets along with the Ontario waterways through a program of infrastructure work. People are invited to attend the open house Thursday, February 9th from 7 to 9 p.m. at the Beacon Emporium, 35 Lone Pine Road in Port Severn, Ontario. Learn more about the project, ask the engineers and Parks Canada staff questions, and view some of the project plans. So if you're in the area, it's Thursday night. It's only a hour and something drive from here, isn't it? Hour and thirty-eight minutes. Yeah. So that's up. Oh, there it is. It's so it's yeah. north of Barrie. Yep. Hmm. That's a lot of money. That's a ton of money. That's a so lot of money. Thursday, middle of the week, February 9th. February ninth at seven p.m. I could get there. That'd be interesting. Hmm. Anyway, mm-hmm. Parks Canada is doing uh, a lot of upgrades this year. They're upgrading their reservation system or have upgraded? Yes. So, no, it's not upgraded yet. It's uh, it's going to happen right as February transitions in March. So, the uh, and so it's going to look different, but it's going to be the still the same basic reservation system. Uh, I don't know that you can currently make any reservations on the old system, but the old system is going away. And they're saying that uh, on February 26th, so I know I, for Ontario Parks, I, I'm constantly going back on old, uh, an old reservation saying, oh, so where did we go this week? Or where? So just trying to remember what, campgrounds we went to and what our favorite campsites were and yada 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 we have all those that history that reservation history so 
what they're saying is for the National Parks Reservation System, it's uh, so Parks Canada is saying that with the upgrade in the new software, because the old one is getting slow and clunky, they're going to put a new one in. So the old one, if you have any reservations, that's all going to be deleted as of February 26th. So your old history is going to be gone on the Parks Canada website. So if you use that for planning for new trips, then you, you want to, if you want to go in there and do some screenshots and see where you camped and where you stayed, then save that. Um, and then the new system is going to take, going to pop into effect a first week of March and you'll be able to, st- throughout March, you start using the new system to uh, reserve any national parks uh, uh, locations throughout Canada. So I'm I'm not sure it's it's uh, weird timing. You would think they'd uh, want to because they you think it'd be ready by now. It would be re- you think because people are people, making people are making plans right now. Yeah, right. And when it, I don't know if they like I know Ontario Parks has that five month window, so you can't book anything outside of five months. So mm-hmm. I'm not sure if uh, National Park System does. Well, that. and they were also doing the some of them are two weeks max. Yes, yes, yes. Right, depending on the time yeah. of the year and stuff. So mm-hmm. I don't know if Parks Canada is doing any more ch- any changes like that or not. Yeah. They, they've not really said. They just said they're going to – it's going to look different. And, yep. And whatnot, so. So, yeah, so you're going to see some changes if you, uh, if you commonly uh, reserve at uh, – par- uh, on- at uh, national parks and stuff and mm-hmm. so on like i don't i usually stay at only ontario parks so i wouldn't even notice the difference really yeah i don't <laughs> generally only stay at national parks when i'm traveling across the country yes exactly right you yeah. go through the states mm-hmm. out west and out east yeah. stuff like that actually out east we stayed in a lot of private campgrounds yeah, because they were right along the shoreline. Exactly. Or so whatever. there's a and there's there's a lot more private campgrounds down east than there are elsewhere. Like Ontario mm-hmm. doesn't have a lot of private campgrounds. There's a few. Yeah, you can find. Them I here remember and there. KOAs used to be the big thing. Oh, now, when yeah. we were out by Winnipeg, we stayed yeah. in a KOA. I uh, we used but to say KOAs all the time. All the time. That yeah. was the thing. You go to like Owasco. Um, you get the Owasco uh, where we bought our trailer from. Mm-hmm. They had a, a directory. That you can oh, pick up a catalog, okay. basically like a thin phone book. Yeah. And it has all the KOAs in it. Yeah. Right? So yeah. if you go in somewhere, you just look, oh, there we are. So you call them a call and say, I need to, or go online yeah. and, and make a reservation for and whatever you could, it is. And traveling, I remember doing this too, is uh, you'd go to the reservation desk in the morning and say, yeah, we're going this way. Where can we stay at tonight? Mm-hmm. And they say, okay, well, yeah, was what they reserve for you. This is your site for tonight. When you get there, six or eight hour drive, yada, yada, yada. Yeah. So yeah, it was a, it was a good system. Those we, were the good old days. Yeah, camping was cheap. <laughs> yeah, it was right. Eight bucks, seven bucks, eight bucks a night. I think I remember. I think when I first started my canoe tripping, it was like five fifty or something like that mm-hmm. a night. It wasn't a lot in the backcountry. Yeah. yeah. And now some some campgrounds, some campsites, it's like when you're talking fifty bucks a night, it's like, well, you know. Uh, a dive of a hotel motel is uh, about sixty bucks, right? Yeah, and <laughs> so they got a they got a quarter a quarter slot to for the vibrating bed. <laughs> <laughs> you want a chance of being eaten by birds? You want a vibrating bed? Yeah. <laughs> After ten bucks, you get the bed. Oh, speaking of new things, okay. Canadian Canoe Museum update. Oh, yes. Yeah, this is moving along, just chugging, chugging. We've got a press, re- uh, press release on this one, too. What is the date? 
fall. Right now they're saying it's the fall. Has it moved at all? Um, I think originally it was supposed to be summer. Yeah. Now they're saying like uh, late summer, early okay. fall. So they're still within that timeline. But this is this sort of gets covered in here. Uh, 2023 will begin a new chapter of the Canadian Canoe Museum's history as the organization prepares to move to its new waterfront location, currently under construction along Ashburnham Drive in Peterborough, Ontario. It is an exciting time for the Canadian Canoe Museum. Little more than a year ago, we had just begun construction. Since then, we've achieved many milestones. The building structure has come to life before our eyes. The mass timber facade is taking shape and the building is nearly closed in. Exhibits have been developed and are being sent for fabrication. The fundraising campaign is in its final stretch and the collection is nearly ready for its move across town, exclaims Carolyn Hislip, executive director. And again, Carolyn was on our very, she, she was, was our very, very, very first, very yeah. first guest. Yeah. 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 Canadian Canoe Museum is creating a new cultural destination that will inspire visitors to learn about Canada's collective history and reinforce our connections to land, water, and one another, all through the unique lens of the canoe. The new museum will be located on a five-acre site that will provide stunning west-facing views of Little Lake, a connection to the Trans-Canada Trail, and will be surrounded by public parks. It will become a vibrant community space for outdoor activities and the museum's canoeing and outdoor programs and events. A national fundraising campaign has inspired Canadians from coast to coast to coast and has raised 95% of the project's $40 million cost to date. $40 million. Yeah. But 95% Yeah, that's awesome that they've... It's from donations. Yeah. Project is also made possible in part by generous support of the Weston Family Foundation, the City and County of Peterborough, Province of Ontario, Government of Canada through both the Department of Canadian Heritage and the Federal Economic Development Agency for Southern Ontario, and donors from across the country. While steady progress has been made, a new museum's opening will occur later than initially anticipated. New museum project is experienced delays due to the pandemic and the ongoing impacts to the construction industry, which is... Yeah, that would be... That's hit everybody. Affecting supply chains, material availability, and resulting in material shortages. And that's huge because, I mean, even trying to get our bathroom done was... Yeah. Had to hunt for for copper pipe Mm -hmm. because it just wasn't available, right? Uh, for example, a national shortage shortage of cement powder recently created a three-week delay in completing the building's superstructure. So, that's incredible. Yeah, and yeah, something like that gets delayed. Yeah, you don't think of cement being a shortage. Yeah, you can't start moving stuff in until your building's done. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> so that just puts everything that much farther behind. Maria Williams, project director, Chandos Construction explains the CCM project started at a difficult time in the industry due to the pandemic and other influences outside our control. We have seen trade shortages, material supply issues, escalations beyond what we have historically seen. I'm incredibly proud of the work of this team, which has come together to find unique solutions to minimize the impact on the project budget and schedule while maintaining the overall quality and design of the constructions. The Canadian Canoe Museum hoped to welcome visitors in early summer 2023, but due to these delays, the anticipated opening of the new museum is now late summer or early fall. Yeah. Which realistically, you know, isn't that bad. It's not like you're waiting an extra year. Yeah, it's still opening. You know, it's still opening, yeah. And you're going to be out all summer anyway. Yeah. 
So come yeah, late summer, fall. Yeah, it'd be perfect. Yeah. Grand opening when I'm done my canoe trips. Yeah, there you go. As designers, we have seen unprecedented upheaval in the construction sector over the last two years. While there have been similar delays in supply chain issues on the Canadian Canoe Museum through our integrated approach to project delivery, these have been minimized compared to other projects. Uh, we, um, oops. we are pleased with the progress made and look forward to seeing the museum open to the public in 2023. Ref- reflects Bill Let, managing principal of Let Let. Architects Incorporated. Canadian Canoe Museum remains hopeful that the new museum will be able to celebrate its grand opening during the paddling season. We are working very closely with the project team to recover the scheduled delays as we would be overjoyed to open earlier. With so much excitement and interest in the new museum locally and nationally, we want to be transparent with our community about the timeline as we know they are planning trips to visit us this summer, says Hislop. To learn more about the new museum or to donate, visit www.canoemuseum.ca backslash new-museum. Yeah. Very cool. So things are churning. Mm-hmm. Things are happening. Uh, they haven't moved everything over because they're just waiting for this to, you know, finish making the building first. <laughs> and then, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll give another update when we're... We're uh, finding out when they're moving stuff over, and that'd be cool to see that. We'll have to do them when we assume we're going to be able to get uh, her back on for an interview. But uh, that's doing a Carolyn on for a yeah. We we'll have to do a montage as, as we paddle up to the dock at the museum and climb out, and she's there to greet us. And yeah, we should do a montage like that. Yeah, now you're just getting <laughs> fancy. Instagram short. Look at you, fancy guy. <laughs> And we'll have Kevin Callan running in the background because he as well was on our first show. Being chased by a bear. <laughs> Being chased by something. <laughs> Get an old lady with a paddle chasing yeah. him. Hey, you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what else here? Oh, if you are heading to Algonquin Park this weekend or next week. Yeah, this weekend. Yeah. This this week, end of this weekend, end of the weekend. Yeah. Uh, to do some snow stuff. Yep. Either hiking or camping. Mm-hmm. Keep an eye out for military personnel. The Royal Canadian Dragoons will be training on the snowmobile trails around the park from February 1st to February 5th. Exercise Frozen Spartan. <laughs> kind of like who keeps comes up with these I know, names, right? eh? Uh, we'll see uniformed personnel and vehicles taking part in long-distance patrol training between Petawawa, Mattawa, North Bay, Huntsville, and Madawaska. Which is, yeah, basically, basically the, surrounding, the park. surrounding the park. It's part of their preparation for Operation Nanook Nunalivit. Nunalivit. Yeah, that's how I said that, right? Yes. As the Canadian Armed Forces secure our country's northern regions. So it's all training for uh, up north, Yeah, right? so this is a precursor to larger training that will be done up north. Mm-hmm. And it, we uh, because of climate change and stuff, there's more accessibility to the northern ranges of Canada. So we have to prove that we can protect our northern territories. Yep. Armed Forces training in cor- is coordinated with local authorities ahead of time with the safety of the public and personnel in mind and developed in a manner that keeps public disturbance to a minimum. Mm-hmm. I remember up, yeah, when we lived in Petawawa and we lived out in Yorkton, Saskatchewan, they would do the military um, maneuvers maneuvers and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And uh, that was pretty cool. Even my brother, he was uh, the one, well, the one was um, in 
in armored and the other one was in artillery. Yeah. And they go out in Shiloh, Manitoba and do the, the uh, Germans were there with their leopard tanks and they'd be doing all the maneuvers there yeah. and you'd be in the big trucks following, watching them and that was <laughs> awesome. I can think of a few times where I've been on a road in Algonquin and I see some military helicopter or military transport fly overhead. I've heard, I've never seen it myself, but I've heard stories of people being in Barron Canyon and, and the helicopters fly down the canyon. Mm-hmm. And so that's pretty cool. I've never seen it in Barron Canyon, but when we lived in Petawawa when I was in Air Cadets, we got to go on um, helicopters. No. And they would fly in Petawawa close to the Petawawa River. Cool. And yeah, I mean, there, you get some parts where they're like, canyon sorts mm-hmm. but nothing like the barren canyon yeah it'd be neat but still you're you're you know like 30 40 50 whatever feet off yeah. the water yeah. zipping along and these guys know what they're doing and you're just like <laughs> hanging on enjoying the ride right yes but yeah those are the good old days <laughs> the good old days i tell you north fork championships uh so the tell north, me about yeah. this what is this what is this they've paddled their last tournament it's whitewater Organization uh, tournament, so it's closing down. It's canceled yeah. forever, not just this year. Well, that's up in the air. Uh, according to event organizer Jody Voorhees, it started in 2012 and has grown into the largest whitewater kayak event in the country, according to Voorhees. A combination of financial burden and logistics forced event organizers to call it quits. It has been very difficult for us to come to this conclusion to cancel the event, she says. It definitely is the insurance part of it, which, you know, you're hearing about low water, Mm -hmm. money, COVID. You don't think of it. Apparently, this has become an issue. This was the final thing to close it up. COVID canceled it in 2020. Sponsors dropped uh, the event as a result. Additionally, several sponsors could no longer afford to support the event at the time at the same level through the following years. Moreover, the American Canoe Association is struggling to renegotiate a sufficient insurance provider for Class 5 rapid competitions. Hmm. Which, wow. I, I, it's kind of just the perfect storm this year. Uh, 2021 NFC champion Sage Donnelly said, the American Canoe Association usually gives insurance to all our competitions in whitewater kayaking. Several similar competitions called it quits at the end of 22 season in response to the lack of insurance, according to Donnelly. So this isn't the first one. Yeah. Right now it's full stop, Voorhees says. So right now she's saying it's 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 done. done. It's it's, you know. Uh, but who knows what might happen in the future? Yes, maybe this, maybe this action might bring light to it, and and some people who are willing to sponsor or support might come out and say, mm-hmm. "Hey, listen, let's and get if this they running get, again. If, if they can get the insurance, mm-hmm. that's the big thing, right? Yeah. you got to have the insurance because if something happens, they're getting sued right off the bat. Yes, right. Yes. Locals in the nearby town of Crouch seem to have mixed opinions about the event due to its rapid growth. According to Crouch resident Cole Urin, the last five years, Urin rented out plots of land for kayakers to camp through the NFC weekend. It did get to a point where you were making a little money in the spring, and that was nice for everybody. And it did make a difference. Because who doesn't want some extra cash, right? Uh, we have busy summers around here, but that was kind of the kickoff to it. 
I think one of the reasons why people in the community won't be upset about losing it is just because it was growing so big. We are a small town with just one two-lane road in and out of town here. It got really busy, especially with all the pedestrian traffic. Voorhees does not have any current plans for the event to return in the following years. Yeah. So it's so. North Fork Championships in Idaho. Done like dinner. Mm-hmm. For now. Well, hopefully um, uh, the American Canoe Association can uh, get something Swing negotiated. Swing some insurance deal, yeah. Before they start losing a ton more uh, competitions. <laughs> but yeah, these things... These things are expensive to put on. They are. Logistics are difficult to deal with. and But if you can't get a proper insurance rider to to protect, you know, the comp, the competitors and protect the people who are surrounding it, then it's just the, the, the risk. There's so much risk involved in some of these competitions that if you can't get the proper insurance, it's just a, no, yeah. it's a no-go. You can't, you can't do it. It's non-starter. You just can't do it, so. Speaking of races, ice canoe races, yes, Quebec City. We talked about this in the past. Uh, episode 51. Oh, you looked it up, did you? I looked it up because <laughs> I knew you would ask. After short absence, the ice canoe races are officially making their comeback to the Quebec Winter Carnival in Quebec City. Bonhomme Carnival. Spectators are invited to watch the canoe races for free from Wharves 19 and 21 in of the Port of Quebec. Saturday, February 5th. So that's this weekend. I didn't realize it was already. Oh, I'm going to miss it. Yeah, 1 till 3 p.m. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, we talked about uh, canoe racing in episode 51. So if you want to hear more about it, uh, go back and listen to episode mm-hmm. 51. Google ice canoe races and uh, you'll yeah. see tons of pictures of. It's probably, for anybody who doesn't know about it, it's probably not what you're thinking. <laughs> because really, it's it, you're, you're it's a frozen river. You're you're running mostly frozen, a, mostly frozen. So you're in and out of the any in and out of water. You're in a dry suit, and uh, so basically you're running and pushing a canoe across the ice. It's five five people in a canoe, yeah, and they paddle until they can't, yeah, <laughs> and then they get out and on chunks of ice they run. they got cleats, <laughs> they run and push the canoe, yeah, um, and the ice moves. It's chunks of ice, right? Yeah, it's so floating. It's, it's running it's, down it's river. Floating. It's <laughs> so yeah, you're you're running it across, yeah. And then back, um, this is a big thing. And it all started out, like I said, you can go to episode 51, get the full meal deal. But basically it started out as though they used to have to deliver mail to the islands. Yes. And then it became a race. Yeah. Right? So. So somebody did this as a job. It was like, oh, I got yeah. a mail run. So you get a couple guys out in, in a canoe or some kind of water sled and you run it across, get to the island, and then you run back. So sometimes you're in the water, sometimes you're not in the water. <laughs> And then it just becomes a sport. <laughs> just yes. like full contact bowling. I'm still waiting for that to become a sport. <laughs> so, or uh, what was the other one we were talking about? Um, uh, what's the one where they're in the, the cow tu- uh, tubing? Tubbing. Oh, tubbing. Tub- yeah, yeah, tubbing? yeah. The Not water tubbing. troughs for cows. Uh, tanking. 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 There we go. Tanking with... with uh, <laughs> Um, targets, gun targets so on the sides. So there's various ways to do it. So a lot of people just kind of float down and drink and float down the river. This big, it's a big uh, aluminum like, metal, like you'd see on a ranch. Steel. It's like all the cows can come up and drink the water, yeah. but they leave the water out and they put all the water on the outside. But some people sit in them. They it's like, okay, here we go. There's some targets on. Every time you come around a bluff or a hill, it's like there's some targets. You can plink away at the targets with your guns. I'm just, I'm just putting it out there. Summer Olympics <laughs> coming up. Yeah, what, what is that race called? 
the uh oh they they cross country ski and shoot peloton or no peloton's the bike thing yeah um whatever it is but yeah so you're you're all out of breath you're you're skiing and then you got to stop and shoot. shoot the target but here it's just like yeah anybody can do you got to chug a beer and take a shot <laughs> as you float down a river <laughs> In something that you can't steer, and you have to you have to sign a waiver because at some point there's a chance somebody's getting shot <laughs> or falling in the river or falling. In, yes, you will either there are chances of you being shot or drowned. Yes. Sign here, date. You will not be held responsible. Yeah. yeah, we're dumb enough to put on the event. You're dumber to even to apply. Exactly. <laughs> That'd be awesome. <laughs> I still say it should be done. The, the ice canoe races, though, they seem a bit more, a bit more competitive. Well, I think there's more safety involved in yes. those ones too. So, yeah, you know, yeah, definitely more competitive. Yes, a lot more safe. But yeah, uh, go listen to our episode 51 or Google uh, the ice canoe races, and uh, you'll you'll see. You need to pull up it, the tanking looks, episode too, so they can yeah, go to watch the go tanking, to the tanking episode too. <laughs> Uh, last thing I think, yeah, I guess it's the last thing. Oh yeah, there's nice pictures on the back of this one. Uh, last thing I've got, Dublin's Grand Canal. Water skiing, dragon boat races, and canoe polo could all come together uh, and become regular sites along the Grand Canal, according to a new report. Canoe polo, wait, what? Yeah. Water skiing, dragon boat races, and canoe polo. I've never heard of canoe polo. Yes, you have. Have I? Yeah. Uh, increase in water sports for adults and children is among series of recommendations made by a study commissioned by the Waterways Ireland and Dublin City Council. Study titled The Grand Canal Recreation Activation and Animation Portobello, Portobello to Kylemore. Oh my God. Road suggests <laughs> seasonal report water sports programs, including inter-community paddle leagues and annual flagships events. A phase processed, a phased process. Here's my speech impediment going again. Here, yes, I see. Alongside infrastructural development, would be required to introduce the dramatic new sports culture on a section of the waterway from Portobello to Kylemore Road. Waterways Ireland warmly welcomes the opportunity to collaborate with Dublin City Council and local community organizations and will engage enthusiastically in the next stage of the process, said the Dublin Development Manager for Waterways Ireland. So the Grand Canal opened in 1779, runs along Dublin's south side, connects with the River Shannon. Last working cargo barge passed along the route in 1960. Cool. Wow. So basically, it's not had much to do except flow. Mm-hmm. The area in question currently has limited on-water activity, even though it is one of the longest sections of the canal with no locks, oh. which makes it perfect for yep. for paddling, right? Highlights of the report include an introduction to water sport competitions such as canoe polo, slalom, and dragon boating. Now, this is sort of, I'm thinking, I wonder if this is trying to take the um, eye off that big fiasco a couple of years back, the big white water thingy in the center of Dublin. 
that never happened, did it? It did not happen because people got ticked off. Yeah. Because they wanted to spend the money well, on housing. Well, they had housing. come up. The, exactly. So the original, they had a budget of like, I'm, I'm not going to get the numbers right, but let's say they had an original budget of $2 million, And then next thing you know, it's at $40 million. And the, public, $23 says, million or something. And the yeah. public says, what are you guys doing? Yeah. Because there's facilities just outside of town. That to they do could do the use. same thing exactly. Yeah. So and so it was. They were tr- some the city and everybody was trying to some developer conned a bunch of people into spending a whole bunch of money on this tourist trap. And there's no clear view of return that there, you get enough tourists in yeah. to pay for it. On well, an and that's the thing basis. is is a lot of people are going like we need houses. Yeah. Um. This be more of a tourist. Yeah. And niche. Market yep. thing mm-hmm. is not for everybody in Dublin. Not everybody's doing yeah. this, and yeah, it, it was a big uproar, and they just put yeah. the kibosh on it. And so. at the time, they were still they were still coming out of. The, so they had that economic down, ec- economic downturn in mm-hmm. in Ireland, and uh, so they were still digging themselves out of that hole. And that was in that was from twenty two thousand and eight and onwards to. I think they were starting to really, start, you know, until COVID, they were really starting to recover. But money was tight, short, and it's like, yeah, you guys want to really spend this yeah. much money on this? So now they're going to, they're thinking about, yeah, you know what, let's get some water activity mm-hmm. and on something that already exists. Exactly. So I need to, to see that they're, yeah, open in 1779. <laughs> it's over 200 years old. Yeah. 200, what, like 250. That's amazing. Is that? Yeah. Cool. So, yeah, hopefully Dublin does something like that. And Did you Google water polo? I did. I'm watching the uh, it's the men's gold medal match, Germany versus France. So, there mm-hmm. it's basically uh, it's uh, it, <laughs> it's the one where they throw it. Yes, it doesn't yeah. look safe. Remember this is the one we talked about. Remember the guy got Look at the kayaks. Look how close yeah. to the water line the kayaks are. Remember the guy got hammered in the chest? No, I don't. Really? We watched that one about 20 times. Oh. That video. Yeah. The guy, they throw the ball and the guy just comes cruising right at him <laughs> off the get-go and the, the point of the kayak hammers him right in Look the at chest. This. They're yeah. on top of each other. Yeah. Like somebody's going to- How gonna, people don't die? I don't someone's know. going to lose their face. Yeah. And these kayaks- Go on to YouTube and watch canoe polo. These kayaks have such a low volume. Like they're, as they paddle, it's like he goes right underneath the other kayak. They're like little whitewater kayak sort of things, right? Tiny. Yeah. Like very, very, very low volume. (laughs) It's mayhem. It's It's chaos, I tell you. (laughs) Anywho. So it reminds me of uh, feeding time at, in the koi pond. It's like all the. (laughs) Oh, throw that thing of food in at the zoo. (laughs) And they all go nuts. Uh, that's how I got this week. That's I all I have too. Uh, don't forget over starting of February. Uh, what's the first thing we got? February 24th is the start of it all. Toronto Outdoor Adventure Show, February 24th to 26th. Quiet Adventure Symposium, March 4th. Canoe Copia, March 10th to 12th. Ontario Backcountry Canoe Symposium is March 25th. And the Ottawa Outdoor and Adventure Travel Show April 15th to 16th. Don't forget there's all those events coming up starting at end of February. Tis the busy season. And we're we're camping family day weekend the weekend before Toronto Outdoor Adventure Show. 
So huh? from like the 20th, I guess, mm-hmm. or something, uh, 19th, I think, of February till April 16th. We got a ton of stuff going on. Yes, we do. It's going to be a busy time. Good times. Fun, fun, fun. Uh, that's all I got. You got anything else? I do not. You don't? Well, I do want to mention that the, well, you're, you're going to meet Mew on Family Day weekend, right? Mm-hmm. So a bunch of the boys are going to be in the airfield. Uh, nobody's oh, yeah? committed to it yet, but uh, they're going to, like Scott Rogers. Uh, are they going to the airfield? They're going to be that close to Mew? Yeah. Really? They're going to the airfield. Say it isn't so. I, I don't know. Like I, I think they're lying. <laughs> Scott Rogers sent out the email and says, okay, this is what the plan is. And so I haven't seen any email traffic back about who's doing it. I said I couldn't go because I'm going to be with family doing stuff. But, uh, yeah, Martin Garster and Mike Burns and uh, Marcus Rubino, they're all going to be a whole. Well, Get out. Not mm-hmm. that close to Mew Lake. Yeah. No. That's what the plan is. No. That's what, Well, that's uh, Scott's plan. Now, maybe Scott's plan. <laughs> I have the emails. But we, we hear all the, oh, pff, Mew Lake, really? Oh, no, no, no. So that's just Mark. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> Mark's the one that poo-poos that. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. Are you sure? Are you sure? Are you positive? <laughs> well, Mark has not committed yet. Yeah. He should be committed. Yeah. You hear that, Marcus Rubino? <laughs> you should be committed. <laughs> I like the airfield I, because you have uh, a backcountry experience, but you still have uh, yeah <laughs> showers in the bathroom. Well, you know what? Be- oh, don't even get started on. Don't even get started on that. Don't mention that. Do not say that. <laughs> Why? Because that's a big can of worms. Is it big can of worms? Why? Because if 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 you're, you're paying not paying to stay, yes. you're right. You're right. You're yes. Right. That's a big. If yeah. you're if you're not paying to stay at the campground at those exorbitant rates, yes, then you don't get the luxuries. Yes, you sir shall poop like a wombat in the wild, stacking your poop in Stack a tree. Your poop in the tree in a cube, a cube pile over by the trees and mark your territory. All righty. If you want to find out more about us, you can find us at paddlingadventuresradio.com. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can download or stream our episodes on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, Player FM, and iHeartRadio and all your favorite podcast downloading sites. Or you can go to the episode page at paddlingadventuresradio.com and either stream or download our episodes there. If you enjoy the podcast, please share it with your family and friends and fellow paddlers. I'd like to thank everybody for listening this week. I'm Sean Rowley. And I'm Derek Specht. We'll see you next time. <laughs>